0: Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nottingham Segal Network, nottinghamsegal.com, and on the NSN app. And we are happy to be welcoming back former state senator from North Shore of Long Island, former county legislator from Nassau County, Craig Johnson. And as we discussed last week, the ramifications of the 2021 Election Day reverberating throughout the country. Obviously, Virginia, New Jersey, those are the big gubernatorial prizes that are out there and lots of lessons learned, but everybody's unpacking the Republican resurgence in the suburbs. And given the history of uh, Senator, former Senator Craig Johnson, still always to be called Senator, uh, my good friend from the other side of the aisle, CEO of Long Point Advisors, he was elected in 2007. If people recall, that was during the Elliot Spitzer slash George W. Bush days. Uh, survived the election in 2008. That was the Obama wave. Then looked at 2009, which was the Republican surge, which saw M. Mangano being elected and defeating from a, coming out of nowhere to defeat Tom Swazi in 2009. And then was uh, swept out of office in what was known as the Republican wave of 2010. So Craig Johnson has seen it before. Uh, and here to share with us some pearls of wisdom of what can be learned from 2021. Craig, welcome back to SPIN class. And I apologize for that really long introduction. Wanted to set the table for you.
1: Not a problem. I just got off the Peloton, so I had to catch my breath. So it's perfect. I did the Peloton first. Now you're a SPIN class. I'm really going to be in shape today, Michael. So thanks for having me. Mentally and physically. Okay, oh. Craig, let's just go for it. Right. Did
0: people see this coming in Nassau County, in particular, Long Island in general, uh, you know, 20 point or 20 point win for the DA's race. Uh, and Todd Kaminsky slot as a rising star in the Democratic Party. Tim Seney, an inc- incumbent Democrat, being swept out by 17 points in Suffolk County. Both legislatures, Suffolk and Nassau going
1: down. Tell us what happened, Michael, on your I think, side. I think you got to look at it this way. And you have to start with a very basic underlying premise. The Republicans own Long Island. They own it. For the past, you know, for a number of years now, the Democrats have been renting the two counties. But on election day, rent came due, we defaulted, and the Republicans evicted us from almost every office um, at the local level. So, look, I think that there are a number of parallels we can discuss about between this year's election results and 2009 um, you know, whether it is, you know, Bruce Blakeman coming out of, you know, seemingly nowhere, uh, to defeat Laura Curran, um, is analogous to Ed Mangano defeating Tom Swasey, um, in 2009, you know, by a very, 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 very small margin, if you recall. This one, they're not certified yet. We're still going to count the absentees, but right now, Bruce has a comfortable lead, um, in, in the election, but I think it's, it's more so. And, you know, look North Hempstead. Um, you have a Democratic, a uh, registered Democrat running on a Republican ticket. You know, three thousand votes ahead. Um, there are about forty-seven hundred, you know, absentees to count. So we're going to look at that. But look, there's a number of legislative seats that were taken. You've got council seats taken. You know, Michael, you know, you know the area very well. Kings Kings Point threw out their Democratic legislator and elected a Republican. You know, out of you know, seemingly nowhere. So. You know, the question is, you know, first one is why, right? Why did this happen? And we can have a discussion about there are a lot of factors. But, you know, in 2009, it was, you know, two terms of Tom, you know, some tax increases that kind of impacted. But a lot of it was what was going on in Washington, D.C. You know, President Obama passed um, a pretty unpopular at the time uh, Affordable Care Act and the rise of the Tea Party and the frustration and a lot of sentiment that was growing Um, came to the bubbled up to the surface in 2009. This year, you had, um, you know, a state bail reform bill that I think impacted a lot of people. uh, But you also had a tremendous amount of both COVID-19 fatigue, you know, people angry um, and motivated to vote. You had a tremendous frustration in Washington, D.C. with the Democratic Party, you know, whether the president and the House of Representatives, I think. And I think that what happened this year is the Republicans were motivated, no doubt about it. Their vote came out. Democrats were not. No motive. You know, there is, I think, resent- resentment, anger. I don't think it was a lot of Democrats switching to Republicans. I just think Democrats stayed home and it showed. Um, you had turnouts in certain key Democratic precincts um, in Long Island and Nassau County that the, the Democrat turnout was just depressed. It wasn't flipped. It was depressed. And I think that what there has to be some soul searching over the next you know, few months as how you make that comeback. How do you motivate democratic voters to come out and vote? Because the other thing is important is that elections aren't about former presidents. It's not enough to talk about Donald Trump, Donald Trump. Don- He's not on the ballot. He's not on the ballot. Joe Biden's the president, Donald Trump's the former president, You know his policies have to happen. Um, and I think that the Democrats at the state level have to look very hard and say what do we need what do we need to do to bring our voters out you know come 2022 because the republicans are coming back and they're going to come back pretty significantly you know both at the federal level and the state level and so we you know, my party has to figure out a way to counter it
0: okay so I guess it's a great i I would love to get into specific elections if we have time and look at that that's a great general overview my my question actually would be for 2022. Right, So now the Democrats, they know that it's going to happen. They know that Republicans are angry. They're motivated. They want to vote. They clearly want more. So you have a lot at stake in 2022 here in New York. The entire state legislature is up there. Uh, You have super majorities for Democrats in both. The Democrats have gone far to the left in Albany, probably even further than they have on a local level. Uh, And you have a pretty interesting or fun upcoming gubernatorial primary on the Democratic side. I think the, Jay Jacobs tried to avoid that. Uh, clearly not happening. If anything, I would say there's going to be more uh, more attendees to that party. And you're going to have probably a consensus nominee on the Republican side uh, in Lee Zeldin, the Long Islander, probably fits the part. As you said, Trump is in the rearview mirror. I don't know that most voters in 2022 are going to be voting on Trump and and what's that? Because he really wasn't front and center of the 2021 20, uh, election uh, on a local basis. What does that mean? And since you saw it in 2009, going to 2010 with your own races, how do you sound the alarm and get people, if you will, to understand that local races matter too?
1: I, I think, I, I think, you know, the Republicans have to be careful about one thing and what they did very successfully in 21. Very successfully, is Youngkin's playbook was one of embrace policies that Donald Trump embraces, but don't embrace the man. Right? You know, parental rights. You know, Terry McAuliffe making the the, the blunder of the lifetime by saying, you know, parents don't have a right to you know dictate the education of their kids which is what's interesting. And we can have a debate about this. You know, the media kind of like tries to poo poo and make it apologize. But when Republicans make faux pas like that, the media, you know, hearkens on it. That statement angered personal friends of mine who are loyal Democrats, who who saw a statement like that and said, what do you talk? Of course, I have the right. I pay for it and put my public education through my taxes. I have a right to say how my kids get educated, whether that's about types of books or reads and stuff like that, different. But Youngkin did that very successfully, never embraced him, Donald Trump, but had policies that I think are in line with today's Republican Party. Zeldin's going to have a problem. He, a, he has a full embrace of Donald Trump and his vote on January 6th on the decertification, I think is going to come back to haunt him. I think that's going to be a big campaign issue in a general election. Put that aside. I think that the Democratic Party has to figure out what they want to be. You know, do you want to be the party of the left or do you want to be the party of normal? And I think normal is what makes people comfortable. Um, I was, you know, I I attended the SOMOS conference uh, last weekend, there was a lot of recaps and, you know, looking within by elected officials. And one um, state uh, elected official came to me and said, Do you think that your moderate, you know, if you were in the Senate or what would you do, you know, on bail reform? And I said, I I will tell you right now, if I were in the Senate, I would have put a bill in already that would repeal bail reform. You know, simply whether it passes or not, it would be a statement that I hear my constituents loud and clear. I need to uh, accomplish this. And the person I was talking to is a little aghast. You know, this is somebody who is much more progressive. Um, and I think there's a disconnect. And I, you know, I think the Democrats need to figure out rather quickly, how do we bridge that divide? How do we find issues that are important to both constituents on the progressive side and issues, you know, and on the moderate side? Or on the, because if you don't, you're going to see rather rapidly um, a, a, a campaign against moderates in Long Island, Hudson Valley, you know, potentially Buffalo, where it's going to be very much like these Democrats are pushing policies that are not to the benefit of everyday New Yorkers, and I think we as a Democratic Party need to look rather quickly uh, because if we don't, be- we'll become essentially the party of 1972 when George McGovern. You know, you know, caused a 49 state sweep. Um, now we don't have the president up, but you're going to have counties that you know four years ago were very comfortable Democrat. You know, maybe more. Reddish, You know, come 22. But aren't we already seeing that? I mean, we are seeing uh, Kathy Hochul
0: and Letitia, Letitia James kind of going to the left. Uh, Kathy Hochul certainly going to the left from where she was when she was uh, uh, starting out as a politician. But uh, Letitia James now supporting good cause evictions, meaning you can't landlord can't actually evict pretty much anybody uh, ever. It, 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 it practically. But but let, let me just let me finish the point here as, as well. But you also have like the criticism, like Ale, Senator Alexander Biaggi, who's a smart politico and, you know, but, you know, and AOC saying the reason Democrats lost is because they weren't left enough. They weren't progressive enough. I mean, that's going to be these are Democrats in extremely safe seats who are going to continue to have the drumbeat of uh, you know, could drum be to the left, try and push the party to the left, the working families party pushes the party to the left. I mean, why do you why would you see the Long Island uh, that not affecting Democrats on Long Island than in, in Nassau and Suffolk and the Hudson Valley?
1: I'm not sure that you know first of all, I disagree with the idea or notion that if we were more progressive, we would have we would have seen wins. People didn't come out of vote because they're I think they're upset. Democrats are upset. Moderate Democrats, normal Democrats are upset with what's going on in in, in terms of certain, you know, progressive policies. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, in Washington, D.C., moderate Democrats are holding up, you know, held up BIF as long as possible and are holding up BBB because of the concern about certain fiscal, you know, realities that these, you know, these plans don't seem to take into effect. That said, look, Kathy Hochul, you know, announced the other day that this budget that she's proposing would not contain any new taxes. Yeah, you know, look, we should watch what Tom Swasey does. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, the former county executive, now current congressman is probably going to run for governor. He's made it very clear that he is a moderate. He was one of the first elected officials to endorse Eric Adams. He was out there in Buffalo endorsing and supporting Byron Brown. I think that Tom has a message that could resonate um, and I think is an important voice in the gubernatorial uh, the control primary. I mean, look, Jamani Williams is in the race right now. He's pretty far to the left, and you know, it'd be interesting to see how Tish James, you know, balances Jamani Williams. And look, even Bill De Blasio, you know, so for, you know, for all people say about De Blasio, he's a very good political operative, and probably sees some way to have a path. I don't know what it is, but he, you know, may maybe see something. So look, I think that it, it is very incumbent upon you know legislators as they go into twenty two you know, stand for particular policies that normal Democrats and normal New Yorkers can take in, to, can can understand, wrap their heads around and support. And they, and th- these elect officials support as well. I think that the time for, you know, ultra progressive ideas is not one when everybody's up in the legislature. I mean, look, and one more thing, Michael, that's going to help Democrats um, is redistricting. I mean, the fact is, is that, you know, the Senate districts and the assembly districts are going to be changed a little bit, um, you know, and I think that there'll be certain senators who will get an influx of Democrats from other areas. um, And I think we can see, you know, it's going to come down to streets, you know, there, it is very possible. I mean, I want, I lost in 2010 by 451 votes. Imagine if I were able to redistrict in 2010, I could tell you right now that certain areas of Floral Park would have been, you know, taken out of my district. And if I could have replaced that, with certain areas of Glen Cove, you know, I st- I would have been a senator in 2010, but in, in two, 2011. But that's that's possibly
0: until today. Out. So you're probably much happier now. So that that I didn't happen.
1: Let's okay, that. Craig. Last
0: question for you. I I I know time is short as always. We could go on all day talking about the elections yeah. and politics, but I gotta ask from your perspective. And I and I say this not to uh, dance on the on the, on the grave, if you will, but. Todd Kaminsky, uh, state senator, rising star, dean of the Long Island delegation. I mean, absolute wipeout uh, electorally. Uh, a million and a half dollars at the bank. And, you know, seemingly, as I said, get everything going for him. What happened in that campaign?
1: Look, Todd's, Todd is an incredible. I'm a big fan of Todd Kaminsky. He's a. I I know. That's why I'm asking. I'm, you know, and nobody works he, harder. He, No one does. I mean, this is a guy who was walking door to door every day. And the fact is, is that, look, you know, Tom Swazi lost and bounced back. People lose and bounce back. He is an important public servant. He is a critical member of the New York State Senate. He'll continue to be one. He is a moderate voice up in up in New York. I mean, look, you know, when I was in the State Senate and 2010, I owned the MTA payroll tax. I owned it. I voted for it. I owned it. You know, these are decisions. You know, you know, Todd worked very hard to in my opinion, and, and a good thing watered down a bail reform bill that was a problem. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, he did vote for it. And you know that you have to own that vote. And you know, the the electorate made that clear. I think Todd got caught up in a buzzsaw of a bunch of things. I don't know. If only think- Mike
0: Gianaris hadn't given him credit, he would have been OK, right?
1: <laughs> look, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think there are a lot of things that happen. If if if, if let's say Joe Biden was at 60 percent approval and we had already passed infrastructure three months ago and money was flowing in. I think Todd would have won. I think that, you know, it was a bail reform only. I don't think so, because at the end of the day, Laura Curran lost. I think that there is a general anger amongst the public for all the stuff that's been going on for two years. And it's not like, you know, Donald Trump, it's I've been locked up for two years. I'm angry that I'm being told what I have to do. I'm angry at what's going on. And Democrats are like, you know what? I just don't want to deal with it. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna stay home. And I think that's what where Todd got hurt. And but I I expect a big comeback from Todd. I think this is a guy who can easily bounce back. He's a critical voice in Albany and uh one that I look forward to seeing having a, a terrific career despite the loss. It's a blip.
0: Okay, actually, I'm going to give you the last, last, last question. Okay, because I I want to understand. Not running again.
1: Oh okay. oh, okay. Sorry.
0: Okay. The, the theory of the case here. And by the way, I should, I should mention that up in your district, the, the, or King's point, I should say up in your neck of the woods, a uh, Mozzie Phillip was a, uh, was the one who unseated Ellen Burbank by 2000 votes. It was kind of a blowout in a minor, you know, in a local, from a local perspective, uh, North Hempstead obviously turned over, which is your home turf. i um, had not been Dem- had it been Republican for 30 years or more 40 well, years.
1: Well, just remember, just remember, Michael, they don't have a majority on the board. Democrats correct. control the board still. Just like Hempstead with Laura Gillen two years ago, Democrats control that board. So, uh, that. correct. The only supervisor can only do so much. Only one, only first among equals, if you will. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay, but we'll we'll leave that, we'll leave that aside here. Okay. The theory yeah. of the theory of the case was, you know, from Democrats' perspective, was you know, Laura Curran would win by 20 points, and it would be a it would be a, a year, you know, they had polling, they had the money, they had organization, they have the state chairman who's here, and then you have a ticket of you know, Kaminsky, Cronin, I mean the other people, and that was kind of the you know, let's coast to victory. I guess my take here is, did the Democrats kind of take the Laura Curran's kind of centrist popularity for granted in a way? You know, she had, she obviously, she had great favorables. I mean, if you look at any poll, she had great favorables. So was, was it a case of, I don't think it was taking your eye off the ball the way we saw Tom Swazi in 2009. My question is, is what is different? What would politically, as political junkies that we are, what do we learn from this, uh, from, from from what happened just on a pure
1: political level, not Democrat, Republican, just politics? A couple things. I think one is I, I've just come to distrust polls. I think that polls, I think polling is a science now that, you know, you can start questioning because, you know, you saw it in the presidential, you're seeing it now, you know, polls are just not you know, people aren't answering it, and I think they're not answering it accurately. And you know, it's hard to you know put a lot of stock in polls. I think that it's a very ba- it's very basic. You got to get your voters out to vote, and you got to do what you can to get them out to vote. And and mail. I mean, there's a saying you probably heard: signs don't vote. They don't. You know. Pieces of mail, don't vote. You need to literally have a terrific ground game to pull people out to vote. And on, you know, last Tuesday, Joe Cairo and, and their team had a much better ground game. And you also have to think about, you know, if you look at the ticket that they, that you you guys put together, you know, while Bruce was at the top, and I think that it'll be interesting to see what, you know, Bruce Blakeman does as county executive. And what, a, I mean, what a career, right? You know, what Bruce is, you know, where he is in today. You know, you look at it with the DA candidate, you know, but like Elaine Phillips, I mean, smart choice by Joe Cairo to bring Elaine back. I mean, I I really like Elaine. I think she's a a moderate Republican. She, she's, you know, a one term Senator, but like, you know, accomplished a lot, very smart. Um, frankly, I was surprised when Newsday did not endorse her. I thought that was an interesting, interesting. Well, you know, Newsday can
0: only endorse one Republican on the ticket, so they gave it. To, they did Anne Donnelly. I mean, I, yeah,
1: I was, you know, which was surprise. Was, was obviously a surprise. So they can't give two. That's the. Uh, but that's but, the rule of thumb. So, Elaine, Elaine, coming from the North Shore, you know, certainly brought out. I think a lot of independents who liked Elaine, you know, and kind of focused it a little bit. So I think it comes down to, you got to have a great get out the vote operation. You got to, that's where, you know, the day, the days of let's put money in polling and let's put money in mail. I mean, I must've gotten tons of pieces of mail. And at the end of the day, you know, I don't think I got a phone call or a knock on the door and I know it's COVID and stuff, but you gotta, you know, you gotta touch voters and hit voters. And I think the lesson is, you know, come 22, You got to motivate your supporters and your team to get people out the door and get them into the polls. And I think that's where the lesson has to be.
0: Okay. Well, Craig Johnson, that will be the final word. Although I do have to repeat your money line, the money takeaway of Democrats only rent Long Island and the rent came. Republicans own it.
1: Democrats, Republicans own it. Democrats rented it. Rent came due and we default. That's what it is. (laughs) <laughs> That's what it is
0: and that'll be it for Craig Johnson here on Spin Class. Thanks for joining us.
1: Michael pleasure.
0: And this is Spin Class here on the Nahum Siegel Network. And as we close this week's show, uh you know usually we talk about politicians behaving badly and we like to joke and mock about that. This year, this week there are just uh well, there are too many to name. Uh Paul Gosar with a bizarre video absolutely bizarre where he imagines killing aoc and joe biden uh he faces potentially a center vote in the house i mean what is a sitting member of congress thinking when you go ahead and put yourself and into such a video it's quite it's it's just we'll just leave it at that i I can't even understand the uh the thought process that might be going into that. On top of that, uh, one of our favorites, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I can't figure really figure out her either. Uh, she seems to just have profound ignorance of anti-Semitism. This is the same congresswoman who talked about Jewish space lasers causing the forest fires in California, essentially blaming the Jews for firing and starting these fires but you know this past week uh, of course she's an anti-vaxxer okay you know that's would be something but then to essentially quote the nation of islam and their paper and the things that they have said and talked about where it's very clear that the nation of islam if you look at the same people who are making these anti-vax statements are also spewing anti-semitic statements and talking about how the jews are responsible for covid And it's punishment for the Jews and punishment, et cetera. Um, There's a certain point that ignorance only goes so far. But really, really, what is the politicians behaving badly, we have a window, a real window, I mean an actual transcript window into the mind of former Governor Andrew Cuomo, who was deposed, I believe, for 11 hours, a 515, well, 10 plus hours, we'll put it that way, because... Uh, a 515-page uh, transcript of his interview when it came to his harassment investigation. As we know, he eventually resigned over it. But it's not – it's not – I couldn't read the whole thing, obviously. Uh, but it's just an incredible window into uh, Andrew Cuomo. At times uh, brilliant, incredibly combative, just uh, and at times incredibly scornful of the process and scornful of the idea that he would be being held accountable. And I guess, you know, the one thing that's popping up is this idea that, oh, uh, he called Chuck Schumer the rabbi of June Kim, who was the special prosecutor, former uh, uh, U.S. attorney and deputy to Preet who famously invested the Cuomo administri- uh, investigated the Cuomo administration and investigated the fact that he had – uh, ended a panel on corruption called the Moreland Commission, and he said that Quick Kim was unbiased. And then he says in the transcript, "I'm so, sorry, Kim was hopelessly biased." And obviously, this is a foregone conclusion. Though he's great, attacked the uh, attacked the credibility of the accusers or their prosecutors, and he says. That the inquiry raises ethical and legal questions. This is what he says in the transcript, because your rabbi, Senator Schumer, called for my resignation. Now everybody's up in arms. This is Rally, call a rabbi. Now, I will say, haven't been in New York politics a long time, rabbi is actually a term, and I think it's used elsewhere, of somebody who's a political patron. They call your rabbi who's the person who supports you, who's the person who kind of you know moves you forward politically, and that's the rabbi. That's not the craziest thing to say. I know everybody is up in arms and saying, wow, how can Andrew Cuomo use that anti-Semitic comment? And uh, I don't think that that's the case at all. It is in fact the case that the political patron of Preparara was Chuck Schumer and Kim was his deputy. That does not and should not disqualify June Kim from conducting an investigation, but if you want to go ahead and uh, poke some f- polls and the credibility, go ahead and do it. It is true, in fact, that Chuck Schumer had already called on Cuomo to resign. But more astounding is kind of this Bill Clinton playbook, and I just got to read this transcript because it's really incredible. Uh, they asked him, they asked Cuomo, did you date, uh, did you date her? I'm not sure exactly who we're talking about, but uh, – he was dating somebody who resembled Lindsay Boylan, who was one of the complainants. The question, did you date her? Cuomo says, how do you define date? Question, how do, you, how do you define date? Answer, but it doesn't matter how I define date. How do you define date? Because it's your question. The question, my question is, you don't understand the question of, first, I'll go to my earlier question. Was she your girlfriend? You don't understand that question? Cuomo's answer, I, was she my girlfriend? Meaning... Question, do you understand what a girlfriend is? Cuomo's answer, well, girlfriend means different things to different people. And this goes on and on and on. The proverbial Bill Clinton, let's go back to this. It depends what the definition of is, is. And we're going to leave that as the last word. For this week, as we see uh, politicians behaving badly, uh, we can see much of that. Some of them may hold be will be held accountable. I think the document dump from Tish James is quite uh, brilliant politically right now because uh, she, of course, is looking for to play up on this as much as possible as she runs for governor. I would be remiss in not wishing everybody a happy Veterans Day. Uh, if you see a veteran, if you see a man in uniform, thank them for their service. God bless them for keeping us safe, for making this such a great country that we get to talk and mock and discuss politics so freely and have free and fair elections. Certainly something that is should not be taken for granted at any time and don't take for granted the greatness of our troops. God bless America. That's it for this week here on Spin Class, here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.